0: Hello everybody, this is your host, Steve Dawson. Welcome to the One Life Podcast, Season One, featuring Jim Burns, brought to you by music makers and soul shakers. This podcast is completely ad-free and listener-supported. Please check out all of our episodes at makersandshakerspodcast.com. And if you enjoy what we do and would like to support it, you can make a one-time donation or subscribe to our Patreon page. Just follow the donate button on the top right of makersandshakerspodcast.com. Now, just a reminder that what you're about to hear is unscripted on all counts. Jim Burns is speaking off the top of his head, and all musicians are improvising at all times. This was all performed live over two days at the Warehouse Studio in Vancouver, and was recorded there by Sheldon Zaharko and mixed by Steve Dawson in Nashville, Tennessee. Guitars and pedal steel by Steve Dawson, drums and percussion by Gary Craig, bass and mandolin by Jeremy Holmes, and keyboards by Chris Jestrin. I'd just like to thank Jim Burns for agreeing to do a crazy project like this. And without further ado, here is Episode 9 of One Life Season 1 with Jim Burns.
1: You know, I was uh, quite lucky through all this time of, you know, working on the television series and uh, getting to do all this wonderful work, but at the same time, uh, the way the schedules worked out and, and uh, my friendly relationship with the producers allowed me to, to maintain, you know, still was out playing music whenever I get a chance to, and uh, like I say in fact, they let me do it on the shows and uh was able to make a, a juno winning album a uh, P- tom Keenley side produced for me back in 95 we, we won we uh. won but meanwhile uh, you know i had a great interest uh, as i mentioned before i was an investor in a couple of restaurants here and there we had one here in in, uh, in vancouver which was a lot of fun my friend uh, my late great friend my soul brother now and forever my buddy kevin mooney Um, You know, I first met Kevin, it would have been, oh gee, 1974 or 75, Uh, 75, I'll say, in Victoria. I was dating a girl that lived on the main floor of a house, and uh, Kevin was dating a girl that lived on the upstairs of the house. And uh, we happened to run each other, and uh, he had this great Irish name, Kevin Mooney. And of course, uh, as you may know, if you know me, I'm very proud of my Irish heritage. And so we got to talking, and uh, he was uh, interested in this, you know, a lot of the same was, his interest in music was much like mine, and uh, and uh, he also uh, found out in a conversation that uh, even though he'd grown up here, he somehow or another was a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals, which is another thing, if you know anything about me, you know how I feel about them. And uh, so we became, you know, we, we started a, a a really nice mutual friendship and then when I finally got to living here in Vancouver and uh, Kevin was a great uh, music promoter and a, a great supporter of music and uh, you know I tell you we miss him here in the studio because uh, the last few albums we've made we of course would have him as a caterer the guy was a, a world-class chef and uh, you know he was the guy that was gonna live forever this is a cat he shot baskets every day and rode his bicycle everywhere and Quite sadly, just earlier this year, he uh, he went to bed one night and didn't wake up. And um, God, we miss him. I'll tell you. But back in the day, we had uh, he had been involved in a couple of different restaurants, and there was a place uh, a space came open uh, down uh, at the in the West End, down uh, right in the heart of it, at the uh, corner of it, Denman and uh, Davy an upstairs space. Uh, Our friend Michael Magic had had a a bit of a restaurant thing going in there, but we decided we were going to go in and make a a nightclub out of it, okay? Uh, A dining and music experience. And uh, we sat around, what are we going to call it, this, that, and the other thing? And uh, we thought of some funny stuff. We'll make make it like a Japanese-style deli. We'll call it Sosumi. (laughs) But uh, we decided anyway. We we eventually it came up with a cafe Django, of course, in the uh, as a as an homage, a tribute to the great uh, Belgian gypsy guitarist Jean Baptiste Reinhardt, Django Reinhardt, who uh, you know his untouchable music and uh, his uh, his aura, his mystique, everything. You know, we decided we this was what we we on onto, and um, we had a, a, a fine kitchen, a little bar there. And uh, we started bringing entertainers. We had some great ones. We had the the great Mose Allison from Tippo, Mississippi. And uh, but what a wonderful guy! What a you know the dry wit. I mean, of course his great songs. Uh, that uh, you know your mind is on vacation, but your mouth is working overtime. <laughs> so many of those great. We had him in, and they got to hang out. You know, we I'd, of course had seen Mose in a number of situations, a number of settings over the years. But to be able to have him in our own little setting and to just hang out with him, uh, just tremendous. We had, uh, we had Herb Ellis in. Herb Ellis, uh, the, the great guitarist. You know, Herb uh, was born on a cotton farm in, in North Texas, and even though he traveled the world, he, was, he would always be a, some, something of a country boy. He had uh, been in the Navy, I guess, in the World War II, when he got out, he joined the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. Orchestra. Played with them for a few years, and then uh, in the early '50s, uh, started the uh, one of the great, well, the great drummerless trio, one of the great trios of all time, with uh, Oscar Peterson, Ray Brown, and Herb Ellis, uh, and they uh, they toured for many years, and then, then Herb went off and toured the world with uh, Ella Fitzgerald, working with her, and uh, and we just I many, the, the list of people he worked with is endless. And then he, of course, ended up on the the Merv Griffin uh, show. He was <laughs> in the orchestra there. But uh, he was sort of semi-retired by the time uh, he, he had come up here to play with us, and uh, you know he was a great guitarist, but also a, a, <laughs> quite a storyteller. He tell he, in between, you know, he would play this fantastic music, and then he would stop and kind of tell these little stories in between songs. And uh, a couple of them have stuck with me forever. And, in fact, there's one that we, you know, every time every Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner, just before dessert, we tell the story about the pies. He tells uh, you know, like I say, he's a Southern guy, and had in his retirement he had bought a little place down in uh, outside of Little Rock, Arkansas, where he was living when he was not on the tour. But he said, you know, I had a friend was working for the gas company in North Carolina, and uh, he was on the complaint line, and, and uh, you know, if you had a problem, he would phone up. And you know. so one day he gets a call. How can I help you, sir? And he says, well, you know, my wife, she had made some pies, and she put them on the windowsill to cool. And uh, I walked in the kitchen, and I went to light a cigarette. And I guess the pilot light or something on the stove had blown out. Cause ooh, goddamn, there was a big explosion. And uh, well, I, I took my wife down to the hospital. Uh, She's—they say she's going to be all right. Kind of singed her eyebrows off and stuff. And they're going to keep her for just overnight. But she's going to be okay, I think. And he says, "Well, that's terrible, sir. How can I help you?" And he says, "Well, my question to you is, can I still eat them pies?" <laughs> I always love that we love that story <laughs> it always comes out of dessert holiday desserts can I still eat them pies His, the other great one he tells is a uh, but he says you know I had a friend down here uh, in Little Rock he's a lawyer um, very successful and he loves guitar music he uh, all styles if it's you know classical blues country jazz rock and roll uh, if it's all played on the guitar he he, he digs it and he had gone to one of the one of the big rock groups, I won't say who it was 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 coming to do a concert here in town, and he had gone down there early to pick up his tickets, and he saw the young fellow was up on the stage, uh, fiddling with a little box and his guitar, and on and on he watched him for a while, and when uh, when he'd finished, he said uh, he went up, he says, you know, young man, I really admire what you do. I can, you know, your soul comes out in that music that you play, but I couldn't help but watching what you were fiddling with that little box and your guitar, and I was wondering what you're doing. And I said, well, I'm just. I was tuning my guitar, he says, tuning it? Well, man, I've got to tell you, I was sitting there watching you for about 25 minutes. He said, yeah, so? He says, well, we had Christopher Parkney, one of the great classical guitarists of all time. I was here just a few months ago, and uh, I, I watched him, and he, he tuned his guitar up in about 30 seconds. And the young fella said to him, well, maybe he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> He would, he would tell these, you know, and then he would blast into this beautiful uh, music. Uh, what, what fun! I mean, just to be able to hang with those guys uh, was such a treat, and uh, you know, you learn so much. You learn so, so much. Kevin, of course, uh, you know, put on so many great shows. Uh, you know, any any great show that you would go to, no matter what style of music it was, no matter what. Kevin would be there, you know. He would be uh, enthusiastically uh, supporting and digging the music. And uh, no matter where or what or whatever, God, we're gonna miss the guy so much. It's, uh... you know, we had a, a beautiful memorial for him out at uh, the St. James Hall earlier this year where we uh, put together a, uh, a second line just like uh, you would do down in New Orleans. <laughs> and luckily that 10th Avenue was closed that day. and. Uh, went up and down the street and uh, showed there was a there was a little uh, greengrocer uh, on Broadway a little Chinese guy that sold vegetables and it was one of Kevin's favorite places to go because he, the guy had you know wonderful produce and also great prices and uh, they ended up they, they they had marched around from from where from the hall up and down the street and, and ended up in front of the uh, the greengrocer over there on on Broadway, the little Chinese man, he, he had somebody had to explain to him what was going on, and uh, he got quite a kick out of it. It was a it was quite a wonderful day. People came from from all over the world. You know, of course, his his brother and uh, sister-in-law and coming from lived in Paris. That's, that's kind of my my Parisian connection was uh, was with Kevin, and uh, they they were people from all from all over France and all over the country had come to uh, celebrate the the life of a really wonderful man. They broke the mold when they made a guy like him, and uh, it just won't be the same, just not gonna be the same. But we'll always, uh, you know, every time I pick up that guitar, every time we play a note, uh, there's a piece of Kevin Mooney in it, and uh, that's about all I can say about him right now. You know the uh, the thing at the restaurant, man. We had we had so many great times, but uh, that's a tough business, man. <laughs> I'll tell you, people think, it, oh yeah. I mean, the, the nonsense we put up with with the liquor control board and the, and the city and the bylaws and you know these guys would come every week and want to see all your receipts because you had to sell you had to sell more food than you did booze, which is tough in a, in a situation because where you make your money is is selling booze. Anyway, with just so many things that people don't realize. And, uh, the, and then our, our chief investor, uh, won't go into too many details on this, but was, uh, was arrested in a, in a sort of an international conspiracy having to do with uh, illegal substances, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, so we had to kind of uh, fold our tents and walk away, as it were. And we've kept uh, we've kept in touch with Michael, and he's he's back now. He he did his time down in the states, and uh, he bought a little uh, motel. Like he's got a place down in Mexico, and he still keeps a place here. And uh, he was up; he came, of course, when uh, for Kevin's memorial. It was the last time I saw him, just a few months ago. And uh, we'll keep in touch. He's uh, quite a guy, quite a character, I'll tell you. I, I do love I mean I love restaurants I, and I and I've invested in a few of them here and there and everywhere and always lost money. <laughs> but uh I do love the culture. I love my good food and uh, I I've, I've met so many good friends in in that in that milieu and uh we'll keep doing that, you know, like the, the good things in life. Good friends, good music, good wine and good food. Oh yeah. As uh, things kind of wound down after we finished Highlander, and uh, another thing we had done was uh, for a couple of years, I, uh, my friend Shel Piercy uh, and Pat O'Brien, who had been one of our, our producers, on, you know, line producers on Highlander, decided we we put together, I had a little uh, uh, variety show that we did, the Jim Burns show for a couple of years, and it was quite fun. I was trying to Tried to recreate uh, some of the golden years of television. I remember in the old the Jack Benny show, where you'd have a uh, little skits and uh, and have some live entertainment, and have people come in, comedians, music, all sorts of stuff. I mean, we used to even tried to look for like, remember the plate spinners you used to see on Ed Sullivan's show? <laughs> uh, we looked for circus acts and everything else to bring in, and uh, tried to really mix it up. And actually, one of my guests uh, on this show was a young fella, two young guys. Steve Dawson and Jesse Zubot, who uh, had uh, made some really great records, and uh, I, I had been aware of Steve, young hotshot guitar player. And anyway, we had him. Then Jesse and he had made a couple of really great uh, Juno-winning records, and uh, so we had him on as a guest on the show. and got to talking to him, and uh, and meanwhile, I was, you know, I had the. That was winding down and I was still playing in the bars and uh, had the band going and, I, and I, in a way I felt I was kind of, I don't know, spinning my wheels, I was starting to feel old, and kind of played out with the thing and, and Steve approached me about uh, about doing a show um, and uh, that he put together, John Baldry was part of it and uh, Andrew Downing came in from uh, Toronto to play bass and and we had a couple of rehearsals together, and put together some show, and played a played a nice little show. Shortly after that, uh, Steve asked me, you know, he says, hey, "I've got a my own recording label, my record label, and uh, I, I'd like to produce a record for you." And I thought, "Yeah, that that'd be good. It'd be something, something new and something different." And you know, I had my my last album had come out on Stony Plain, of course, the great. Uh, label uh out of Edmonton with uh run by Holger Peterson who's one of the great great supporters of music here in this country and really around the world and so I said yo I would love to work with you but I although I did not have a contract uh, with uh Holger I wanted to speak to him and so I spoke to him I said you know Steve Dawson uh, has uh offered me he, wa- he wants to produce a record for me and he's got his own label and uh, I need your your imprimatur, your blessing, and um, who of course, Oliver, being the great guy that he is, just said, "Yeah, go right ahead." So we started to work on on an album. This was in 2004 with uh, Steve, and he brought together a number of his young players, guys that, uh, well, I you know, guys who I, I knew by reputation, and I knew their names and stuff. But uh, it was a, a whole new bunch of guys for me, and which was good because, like I say, I mean, we had. I had my bands together, and we'd we been playing, you know, just... But there were those times when I just felt like I was I was going to work, which is a bad way to feel about your music, I think, you know. It it had lost... It, I mean, the, the music was still great, and we could still, you know, light up a crowd and all that stuff, but I, but I was feeling I couldn't really light up my heart. And we got into the studio and, then, and looking for material, and I had a couple of songs I had written, and... Uh, Steve had some ideas from some other stuff and some stuff that we could cover that was, that was quite different than what I'd been doing. And when we got into the studio, where I thought, boy, this is, I mean, I just felt, suddenly felt, everything felt new again and I, I was inspired and, and you know, I, I can, I'll never be able to thank Steve enough for, for the way he, uh, you know, just kind of put me back on track and made me remember why I loved making music. and. Exploring different uh, ways to put things together, and uh, so we started out with that first album. Which, uh, in looking for a title, you know, we, I had this in mind and that in mind, but finally I came up with, uh, you know, man, I got this, I got fresh horses, and that was our that was our first uh, our first work together, the first album we, we did together. That was 2004, and we had some you know good success with it uh, critically, and uh, we were nominated for a Juno and you know, so well, let's let's keep this going, and we started playing shows together and doing some touring here and there, and uh, playing shows around town. And all of a sudden, I was—it was so great to be out of just that bar atmosphere. I wasn't. Just, this wasn't a bar band. This was a. We were, ex- you know, musically exploring all sorts of stuff and going back to our roots and, uh, but finding fresh ways to to interpret this music. I mean, we both have this idea that I think that. Uh, you know, this, this this music, when we play blues, for example, it shouldn't be a museum piece. It should have a life of its own. It should have a modern, you know, it should have our feeling of today into it. And that we're not trying to, you know, make exact replicas of stuff that was done in the 30s. As much as I just adore that stuff, we got, we had to make it real. We had to make it ours. And uh, Steve had the same sort of, uh, you know, approach uh, to music, I believe. And so we, we started a you know, real good... Uh, relationship that way and then we said well what are we going to do now and I've always loved I'm going back to you know when I was a kid in St. Louis growing up listening to the gospel train with uh, Brother Columbus Gregory and listening to the church choirs on a Sunday afternoon on KTZ radio and stuff and I said man I want to make a I'd like to make a you know do some gospel songs some of that old southern what they call gospel quartet and uh, although generally there was five guys <laughs> in those, all those quartets but but they still call them quartets you know the groups like the the Dixie Hummingbirds and the the Soul Stirrers and the sensational nightingales and the mighty clouds of joy and uh, in these records that I listened to up and down and and once again didn't want to you know make exactly like that but but that's why I wanted to I wanted to use that approach and so we asked uh, my friend, Marcus Mosley. Now, I first met Marcus uh, back in Expo year. He had just moved up from California. And uh, another fellow, Will Sanders, who I met at, back at the same... They had both moved uh, here to Vancouver around that time. And going way back, we did some uh, West Coast Music Award stuff, and uh, I wanted to put something together back then. And I remember t- it was Joe Chappell. Marcus and Will and uh, I said I wanted to at the, at this, the event, the, the, the Music Awards event. I wanted to sing uh, for your precious love by the uh, uh, Jerry Butler and the Impressions. So we put together that little you know quartet, and I said, just I love I love singing that harmony. That I, I just I love those records. And so this was all these years later. I mean we're, we're talking to you know 20 years later, 2006. Uh, I talked to Marcus and I said you know I gave him the idea that. Steve and I talked to him about what we wanted to do, putting them sort of a gospel thing together and uh, who should we get? So of course we we brought Will on board as well and uh, and also uh, Marcus phoned Ron Small Now Ronnie, quite a character I mean, going way back yonder uh, he appeared on he was in a singing group called The Pearls and they were on the Ed Sullivan show back in I believe it was like 59 or 61 or something Ronnie had moved, had been in the Air Force and been out here on the West Coast and moved up here to Vancouver. And uh, back in the day, he had a club uh, down on Davie Street called Ronnie's River Queen. Where, I mean, the people he brought in, you know, T Bone Walker and uh, some of the great j- Sonny Terry and Bronnie McGee, some great jazz people. Uh, it was it was quite a a really a, a great you know stop on you know on the, the musical uh, on the nightlife scene here in Vancouver for many years and then of course uh, like I say running a nightclub or running a restaurant is people have no idea how hard and how complicated and so he kind of got out of that but was still around town and was uh, was teaching music I know a lot of people knew him as a he was a voice coach because he was a, a wonderful singer perfect pitch and a, and a beautiful voice and, and a concept so anyway we brought we brought Ron on, on board and uh We found I I wrote a couple of tunes in the 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 gospel tradition, and uh, we found uh, some some stuff written by some other guys, and we did a soul stirrers tune, uh, the old old gospel thing uh, that had been written by uh, Reverend Thomas A. Dorsey, and and we put together this album uh, called The House of Refuge, and we recorded over at the Little Mountain Studio. Boy, did it feel good, you know, and when we when we got finished with the recording we had had such a time. I told these guys, I told the the three of them, I said, man, you can't, you can't just walk out of this studio and and not do this again. And uh, so I'm going to christen you the Sojourners. And, uh, so I gave them my blessing and sent them on their way. And of course they've, uh, traveled the world now and, uh, still making some beautiful music together. Ron has, uh, left the planet, but, uh, uh, McClellan, a young fella that was living up here, originally from Detroit, uh, is now taking over that that seat in the band, and uh, they they continue to uh, you know travel in the world and spreading the good news of the gospel. I know they had a show earlier this week, and uh, we still are able to. I'm always it's always a pleasure to get to work with them, and uh, we still try to put some things together every couple of times a year because there's I just love singing that music, and uh, we were we were fortunate to. Uh, to win a Juno that year as the uh, blues album of the year, and uh, very proud of that recording. I so we did some some great work on that. Uh, like I say, some couple of gospel tunes that I wrote, and some old uh, you know a thing that an old gospel tune that Skip James wrote, the one from the Soul Stirrers, and uh, I always just treasure that music and treasure the, the, the what we were able to do. And uh, of course, then we carried on, and we've I've made some. You know, every time we'll finish doing an album and we'll let it sit, and and then say, well, what do you want? What do you want to do now? <laughs> so then we put together a couple of real, real good blues albums. We put together another thing called My Walking Stick, where I explored, uh, you know, some some more blues and some more R&B stuff that I love, tunes by Little Milton and and some stuff from the band. Uh, then we did uh, Everywhere West, another Juno-winning uh, album. That was uh, just a real. We had such a a thrill, treat doing that. Uh, We did an album of uh, some of my country and western favorites because, like I always say, you know, I mean, I hate to pigeonhole myself as just a blues. I'm a singer, and uh, and good music is good music. A a good song, a great song is a great song. So we found some great old country stuff that uh, by Hank Snow and Marty Robbins and Dolly Parton and Hank Williams and. Uh, all favorites of mine, and we put together what I thought was another Ray Price tune. And some some really... I love that record. And then uh, then we did a, an album uh, dedicated to uh, my hometown, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. A song that we're from, about and by uh, St. Louisans. We we'll get to ex- explore some real neat stuff there. And uh, it's just been... My relationship with Steve just uh, always amazes me, and uh, I just feel Like I say, I'm eternally grateful for him uh, just rekindling uh, my love of musical exploration in uh, this old man's heart, you know, keeps me young. listening to this episode of One Life. You'll find all the episodes up now for your enjoyment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.